Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Punt on the 42.e, brought to you in association with William Hill. This is the show where we preview the biggest sporting event of the month. And let's just call a spade a spade to begin with. The Olympics is too big to cover in about 45 minutes, so we are going to turn our attention to the Lions. A very worthy second best, I think, this time around. Uh, Looking ahead to the Test Series with South Africa, delighted to be joined firstly by my colleague, a man of this parish, Kieran Kennedy. How are you? Very good, Gav. Enjoying the sun. Looking forward to chatting some Lions. Can't complain. All good. Delighted to be joined as well by South African sports journalist of significant renown, Brendan Nell. And I think Kieran will forgive me, Brendan, for being a little bit more concerned by how you are at the moment, given events in your country over the last few weeks. How attached to or detached from the unrest have you been? Has it affected you work-wise, personally? And how are things generally over there? Yeah, thanks, guys. Great to be here. Um, well, I, I suppose, firstly, like everybody the world over, yeah, the the COVID pandemic has has probably set us back a bit. Um, yeah, we've been very slow with our vaccines. Uh, I've I've been lucky enough to get my first jab um, through the government program. So um, so I'm I'm halfway there. Uh, but yeah, I think for a lot of people, there's the slow rollout's a bit of a frustration. Uh, obviously, we'd all like to get on with our lives, and yeah, you know, this lines tour is not exactly anywhere close to anything we used to. Um, in terms of the unrest and that, I think you know. When you when you grow up in South Africa, you almost get used to uh, a certain amount of unrest. You know, we we uh, you know, coming through the. I, I was born still when it was apartheid. I grew up in that you know, that time, so you almost get used to that sort of thing. And there's always different levels. Yeah, you know, we always seem to be a country that's sort of standing on the edge of the precipice, you know, and looking over the whole time and just keeping ourselves back. But yeah, I think this last week shocked everybody. Um, we probably didn't expect uh, to get out of hand that quickly. Uh, it seems like the government's got it back in control. But yeah, I think I think we were all a bit shocked this last week. In normal circumstances, to what extent does Alliance Tour uh, enter the mainstream consciousness in South Africa? And has that been diluted this time around, given the pandemic and some of the scenes and political unrest we've seen over the past few weeks? I think normally uh, the Lions Tour would be be front and center of every everything that's going on, but I think there's so much else going on at the moment that people, yeah, your your lives are you're so bombarded with other news stories and other things you've got to worry about, like COVID, like um, yeah, other other problems in the country at the moment. That's probably not in the same thing. And I think the fact that we don't have fans in stadiums makes a huge difference there. Uh, yeah, you'd get more of the water cooler water cooler talk. More of the uh, yeah the, the banter between fans and friends and yeah I mean I have covered two lines tours before in my my time and I know yeah that sea of red that you meet in this week before the test is you know out in the pubs and that is it, usually it's it's great it's it's good to have a good a bit of banter with the guys and talk a bit of rugby and talk about memories of of past battles and yeah it feels very different we sitting sitting in my in my home you know we're not getting close to the players we're not getting close to the teams it's it's very strange at the moment was there much of a movement on the ground in south africa or i guess just in terms of general feeling public feeling that the tour going ahead was a bad idea similar to what we've seen say in tokyo with the olympics or are people kind of embracing this this distraction that it might become given what's gone on recently I think if you're talking generally in terms of rugby fans, they, they welcome the distraction. I think we've got so much else 
over the last sort of 18 months that we've been dealing with in our lives, everybody personally, uh, with the pandemic, that you know, the, the, the distraction is great, is, is great in a way. Uh, the, the disappointment's probably been that the provincial sides haven't been that good um, and they haven't really put up much of a fight. So I think that's been the disappointment. But I think last week when we had the SAA game, you, you could feel the, the tension and the, and, and the anticipation going up a notch. And I think this week it feels the same. Uh, yeah, there's, still, there's always going to be people that you know, maybe feel it shouldn't go ahead. I think it's understandable given, given where we are in the world at the moment. But um, I think it's an absolute miracle that it's got to this point and, and that the teams are so determined to see it through. Kieran, can I do a hype check with yourself? I'd imagine it took you a while to warm into the idea of the tour going ahead, but I guess that A game last week whet the appetite significantly and got people on this side of the pond on board a little bit more. Yeah, similar to a lot of people, I think, really. I mean, I was certainly looking forward to the Lions tour, even though I did have reservations about whether it was a good idea or whether it was even realistic to get it played in South Africa. I certainly was looking forward to and enjoyed the opening match against um, Japan and Murrayfield. I mean, that was enough to kind of whet the appetite itself. But then once they got to South Africa and started, you know, putting 30 or more points on the Sigma Lions, it didn't take too long for it to feel like this was all just a little bit of nothing, really. I mean, you didn't even have the kind of sense of occasion that, you know, Brendan has touched on with the Sea of Red or just, you know, a hostile home crowd to kind of give the Lions that tour experience and then when the games aren't competitive it's just hard to buy into it but yeah the South Africa A game last week was I suppose better than we could have even realistically expected because we didn't know where the Springboks were and it was essentially the Springboks in the skies of course and um, but you know they they turned up and were, were at that pitch and you know they brought that intensity and physicality and Watching that game, I mean, you couldn't not get excited for the test series coming up and you just feel like there is an actual, after everything that's gone on, we do have a, you know, competitive test series on the horizon here, which is, you know, certainly looks like it's going to be competitive and going to be exciting. And yeah, the hype is, the hype has grown significantly in the last week. Brendan, we'll chat about that A game as a means of discussing what's to come in a moment. But can I, can I ask you in a broader context, in what regard is this Springboks team held by the public compared to some of the great teams of the past? So on this side of the world, I mean, all around the world, we really that famous image of Francois Pinar and Nelson Mandela and the sense of unification that that World Cup victory in 95 brought, it probably lives on in mythology to a degree. It's obviously been immortalized in a different way in a pretty poor movie as well. But maybe there was a sense of it being ultimately false, that it didn't quite unite to the extent that has been made out to, say, the unacquainted or people who haven't read further into it in subsequent years. You had another team, obviously, in 2007 win the World Cup. But I think the sense within rugby, at least, was with this 2019 team under Razi, with Sia Khaleesi being captain, that it was actually a, a more pertinent representation of the country. Is is the country better represented by this squad? Like, is it a more accurate depiction of the country, and and is it therefore held in greater acclaim? Yeah, I, I think it's always a difficult one to. I'm, I'm never a big fan of comparing eras normally because they all have their own sort of romanticism. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean that '95. If you, I felt like those teams, yeah, '95 was spectacular. Not so much for the Springboks, 
but for the, the Mandela factor that we had then, where the country was at that stage. Uh, I wasn't writing rugby at that stage. I was still a, a journalist at a local paper, and I was in the stadium that day. It was an absolutely spine-tingling moment, you know, that just given everything that had gone on in the country over the previous how many years, yeah, that we could get to that moment like that. But I think, you know, like anything in any country, those moments are only great if you can carry them forward. And I think what happened after 95 is when we went, when the euphoria died down and we went back to our normal problems, um, you know, you, you saw the gulf between people uh, again. And, and and I think there's a lot of factors. I mean, we, we, we don't have, it's not a rugby show to go into those factors. But um, in 2007, I think it was, it was, Different in, in in a lot of ways. I was in France with the team. You didn't. You felt a bit disconnected. I know it was celebrated here in South Africa, but not to the same extent as this team two years ago. Um, I think a lot of that also is the romanticism around that is from that documentary they did, the Chasing the Sun. I'm not sure if it's shown over there by you guys, but those personal stories, especially uh, um, the, the 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 rags to riches tales of Sia Kalisi, Makazole Mapimpi, those type of players has been captured so well. And and the fact that they overcame the adversity of losing the All Blacks, um, yeah, that they, they, they overcame their their own demon in Japan, even though they were expected to win that game, yeah, all those sort of factors sort of built up. And I think, yeah, that aura is still there. The fact we haven't played rugby much, um, yeah, is that probably helped that a lot. Is that there hasn't been anybody to dent that sort of, you know, bubble that box have lived in, and and that might change this in the next couple of weeks, but. Um, yeah, for now, this team is really seen as 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 as, as a team that encapsulates the country, and it's going to sound strange because I always I always feel strange, you know, explaining it to somebody from outside the country. But yeah, in South Africa, we we've got we've got yeah, we we talk about different types of of people of color. Um, you have your black population, you have what we call the colored, which is a mixed race population in South Africa, and there's. There's a feeling amongst, the, especially amongst politicians and people who, who sort of look at these things, that um, the team's more representative when there's more players, black African players, as they call it. Now, if you look at the team that's been selected for Saturday, you've got a front row that's black African, which makes a difference to people as well. 90% of this country is technically, I suppose, black African. So, you, and Makazole Mapimpi, guys like that who are in the team, um, yeah, they, they heroes to a large part of this country that doesn't normally support rugby, and I think that's where it makes a huge difference this time around. Well, we appreciate you getting into it as well. I know it is a complex situation, particularly speaking to a couple of Irish lads. But uh, you've mentioned as well the fact that this aura uh, has been sustained by South Africa not playing much rugby since 2019. We've heard a lot about that in the lead up to this tour and suggestions both from South Africa and elsewhere, that this Springboks team might be a little bit undercooked as a collective. Did that A game put that to bed to some degree to your mind in the sense that if either team looked undercooked physically, it was probably actually the Lions on the day? Well, <laughs> it's quite interesting. I think what, what's also helped with, the, with going into this test has been the sort of the, the, the phony war, the war of words between Russi and, and Warren Gatlin and the little bobs they have at each other. Because both sides claiming that they got better out of that game. I think from the from the Springbok point of view, I would say what was good for, for them was the Lions looked human again. After, after playing the provincial opposition and putting 50 on them and, and scoring a, a plethora of tries, yeah, suddenly they looked like they could be rattled. And that was the first time we've seen that on this tour. And I, I think that from that point of view would have given the box hope. 
that even though they've had COVID problems, even though they haven't played and you know players are out of form and things like that, they managed without four or five of their top guys to to rattle the, the Lions, even if it was only for a half. Um, yeah, the Lions are saying they they finished stronger and etc. But you know, he's chatting to the box personnel. They they were really worried about match fitness in that. Game. So I'm not surprised. Yeah, that they. They feel that they don't worry too much that they faded near the end there. What was impressive for me was their defense, though, um, in that game when they were down to 13. They, there was really a, a passion in the, in the team that they didn't want to let tries in. And I think, uh, yeah, to me, it's, it's probably made Saturday's game even better now because you know, we'll, we'll know after Saturday who, who was probably talking the truth. <laughs> we will find out, Kiran. I'm wondering with yourself, as enjoyable as that game was, Beforehand, did you have an interpretation or an impression as to how this tour might play out, given that South Africa would only have played one test in the interim since the World Cup final? And did that A game change that perception of yours? Yeah, it's it's been a difficult one to kind of predict and, you know, analyse in the lead up to the test series because... You know, it's normally the Lions where we're trying to figure out, you know, combinations and what's the team and blah, blah, blah. But this time to be looking at the opposition and not really know, in in a sense, what to expect from them because we just haven't seen them play together as a unit for so long. So obviously you have doubts about, you know, well, are they going to be up to it? Are they going to be the same force they were two years ago? All those type of questions. But I think once you saw that South Africa A team, you kind of realised that, well, look, these guys they still have that intensity about them. They certainly looked, you know, match ready. And the thing with the Springboks is they're not really a team that are going to do surprises. Like if if they're on it, you know exactly what they're going to bring and you know exactly what you're going to face. And it's that kind of, you know, just intense physicality. And as Brendan touched on, you know, that incredible defensive work rate that they bring and all those things are on show last week. And, And that was with a few key players still missing. So, I guess looking towards the test series, you think that if they throw in a few more guys, which they have done this week, the likes of Mpimpi and Khaleesi, if there's, there's no reason to think that they can't just turn up and be that force that they were in 2019 again. So, yeah, it has kind of changed my impression of this series in a sense that I probably had some concerns it wouldn't be as competitive as you would maybe would have hoped. But um, <laughs> I certainly don't think that now. I think, I think it's going to be a really tight series and, it, you know, I don't think we, what am I trying to say here? I don't think the, there's going to be any surprises in the Springboks. I think we're going to see the Springboks be more or less on 2019. Yeah, speaking of lack of surprises, Brendan, 21 of the 23 from the World Cup final involved this weekend. And probably the only difference, and it could be significant, is the fact that rather than a preferred 6-2 split on the bench, the Springboks have opted for a 5-3 Jack Nienabar has said that it's really due to a couple of individuals being undercooked or not getting the requisite game time in advance of that. So their hand has been kind of forced. Do you foresee that changing their plans in any way, particularly in the second half, when those subs will likely make their impact? I'm not sure it's going to impact that much. I think you know, the World Cup's a different thing and it's a different tournament. And there was a build-up there. They don't have that build-up really now in, the, in this test series. Um, yeah, to me... What, what was interesting to me is, is the fact that they moved their team selection forward and they uh, 24 hours before they were supposed to and they announced it. And that, to me, was almost a statement of intent from the box saying that, you know, this is who we are, come and beat us now. And, and it's interesting because, yeah, we're sitting and we're debating all you know, over the last couple of weeks, 
ha- have certain players got enough game time, even after that A, a- team game. Yeah, there's South African journalists been talking about you know, Trevor Niakani's scrammaging, maybe not as powerful one that they're not playing Stephen Kitsoff. Um, yeah, and, and they've gone out. They said, well, we're selecting them again. We're selecting a, a two-test prop in Oxen Chair as well to front up the Lions straight up. And and Jock Ninaba said it in his press conference. He says, well, our scrum coach, Don Himan, has got to fix it. That's his job. So to me, that's a very much a, a statement of intent um, from them and from their, from in their team as well, that you're the guys, you've got to go do it. It's up to them to come beat us on our home soil. So, yeah, that's interesting to me. Um, I suppose we're going to see on Saturday who's right with these things. But, yeah, that, I like the confidence in that box side going into this game. Like, Yeah, you've mentioned the front three a couple of times, and I saw you were writing in Supersport about the potency of the Springboks Mall and it being part of a three-pronged attack. We can get to those other two prongs in a moment, but can you talk us through just how effective you believe that mall to be from what you've seen even in that A game? Because as you wrote, it seems as though Maro Atoje is going to be absolutely instrumental if the Lions are to disassemble that mall. But he, you know, it looks like he may struggle to do so, given uh, how effective it has been. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because I mean, we have these debates about the malls every, every couple of test seasons and especially when we're playing in, in rugby championship and the Aussies are around and they absolutely hate the rugby ball. Um, you know, but we, we actually love it because you know, anything South African rugby to do with physicality um, sort of you know, gets people's ears prickling and, and they're pretty happy to see it. And, and South African teams, when they maul, they maul well. And we love doing mauls. So to me, if, if there's two things, if our, if our front row stands up, and I know you say I've mentioned that, quite a bit, um, but that was that was the crux of that World Cup. That, in that final, when they destroyed England's front row in those first couple of scrums, you knew which way the game was going to go. So to me, that's that's the one part. And if, if the mall gets going, the box will take confidence out of that. They'll, they'll, yeah, they'll almost lift every single spirit in the camp and, and, and every player will grow an extra leg. They'll enjoy that. And, and they'll quite enjoy sapping the Lions' energy out of that. And uh, I can see them trying that. And, uh, look, I mean, Alan Wynne-Jones is also pretty good at stopping malls. And I'm sure the uh, Lions would probably probably be uh, pretty well-versed in what the Spring, Springboks are going to do. I don't think we're going to see a running game from end to end. The other thing, though, I mean, when we talk about those, you know, the, you know, the, the, the forwards. I mean, that's obviously the crux of any rugby battle. But the box also have those guys on the end, the small guys, the Cheslin Colbys, the Fafta Clarks. You can change a game very quickly. So, yeah, they're not as one-dimensional as everybody thinks, but, uh, yeah, we pretty do enjoy it when they are one-dimensional at times. Well, I think they're one-dimensional in the sense that they're good at everything you're on, which is the frightening thing, you know? And uh, there aren't many wrinkles purely because they're pretty spotless in all aspects of the game. Just sticking with the rolling mall for a moment, how big a concern will that be for Gatlin and his crew based on what we've seen, I suppose, most partly in that A game, do you reckon? Yeah, of course it will be. But um, I, I also think the... I know there's been a bit of concern about the, the Lions pack, but, you know, when you look at that pack on paper, like, they're all quality players who are well able to maul and are well able to roll their sleeves up, you know. Um, the, the only concern you would have from a Lions perspective is maybe that a lot of these combinations, I think I'm right in saying the centre combination for this Saturday is the only one that have actually had meaningful time together in the warm-up games. So we don't really know what this Lions pack looks like as a unit but I personally I wouldn't be too concerned about how they're going to handle the South African mall obviously you would back the Springboks in terms of their power and their skill 
it's an obvious area of strength for them. But I don't think it's something where the Lions are going to be absolutely, you know, obliterated at. I think there's players there who can, who are more than capable of handling what's coming this week. And it's also something that, you know, has been at the forefront of Gatlin's mind for the last weeks. And he's picked these players with that in mind. And, you know, it's one of the areas that have been absolutely drilling into these players over the last couple of weeks. So, yeah, I don't, I don't, think, it's, I don't think it's where the game will be won or lost, put it that way. Brendan, when we talk about the other two prongs to South Africa's attack and say even some of those beautiful set play scores that South Africa managed in the World Cup, um, we saw one example I recalled of Razzie reaching back and kind of high-fiving Felix Jones and it was clearly a, a chink in the opposition's armour that they had spotted. Uh, was that against Japan? I'm not sure. But um, with a team like the Lions where it is kind of a hastily-ish assembled a group of players who don't necessarily have that chemistry in combinations, uh, as Kieran is saying there. Do you think those little chinks in the armour are a little bit more readily identifiable for a coaching staff as astute as Jacques Nienaber, Razi and co? Yeah, I think, I think I mean, coaches will probably tell you that they, they don't worry that much about the opposition and, and they're all trying to impose their own game plan. And they're all lying, of course, because they all do worry about the opposition to these type of things. Um, yeah, but I think the, the one advantage the box do have there is that even though they haven't played for two years, you know, the Kanye Am and, and Damon Dillende in the midfield, their the backline is the same one that won the World Cup. There's an immense amount of you know, continuity and confidence they take from that. And, and you've got to ask yourself, is... The, the, the four or five games that this Lions team has played enough to gel them as a unit, and they haven't played as a test team. So, I mean, I think the box will definitely be looking at it. As individuals, you, know, you guys are right. I mean, they, they're exceptional players, all of them individually. Um, the, the big thing is how quickly can they gel themselves together and how, you know, when the chips are down, I mean, and, and anybody who's played rugby, you know, when you look to your mate next to you and, and you know what he's going to do, is there going to be that in the Lions, the Lions team? Of course, I mean, we, we obviously, we're not close enough to the side at the moment on this tour to see how those relationships are and how they've been developing. But, um, yeah, that's going to be a real question. Looking at the Lions team, Kieran, what was your immediate reaction to seeing the team named, be it in the Times <laughs> about three weeks ago <laughs> or uh, when it was officially announced this morning? And can you talk us through as well, I guess, your impressions of the Irish inclusions and exclusions? Massive for Jack Conan, considering the couple of years he's had. You'd say then Ian Henderson is extremely unfortunate and we can get on to Conor Murray and Ali Price in a moment. Yeah, I think... The interesting thing with this Lions selection is that compared to previous tours, there hasn't been a general consensus on this is what the Lions team is going to look like. And even over the last few weeks, if you look through different, you know, predicted or favoured starting 15s, I think you saw a lot of variation um, across the board, really. And some of that is down to the fact that you would have to say the four nations, there hasn't been a standout nation as well coming into this. It's not like you're coming in with a hugely powerful England team or an Ireland team that have had a great run of form. So, yeah, it was a bit more open than usual. In terms of surprises, I mean, Ali Price, as you mentioned, is is the obvious one, which we'll get to. But otherwise, there was nothing there that really jumped off the page to me and shocked me, I have to say. Um, I think a lot of those players have played themselves into form over the last few weeks and have kind of played themselves into the team. Van der Merwe is maybe one I thought was lucky ahead of Josh Adams because... I know we've touched on the quality of opposition hasn't been great in the warm-up games, but I mean, 
Josh Adams has kind of he couldn't have really done much more by you know not having the best game last Saturday. Um, but yeah, I mean Anthony Watson, Stuart Hogg, you know I think they're both kind of safe bets. I like I like Elliot Daly at thirteen beside Robbie Henshaw. I think if you're going to beat the Springboks. You can't just try and match them in terms of physicality. They're going to have to try and get inventive. They're going to have to try and be creative and, you know, have a few tricks up their sleeves. And I think Daly just gives you that little bit of extra creativity in midfield. Um, Dan Bigger, I don't think, was a surprise to anybody. And then, yeah, in the pack, I mean, you touched on Tyg Byrne. So maybe we'll start there and Ian Henderson. Tyg Byrne on the bench, a lot of people wanted him in the starting team, obviously, but he's just such a almost like a safety blanket on the bench and the fact that he covers a couple of positions and he's been in great form. And, you know, a player, we, if we all think this is going to be a reasonably tight game, someone like Ty Byrne coming in in the last 20 minutes to just cause a bit of hassle around the breakdown, get a few turnovers. I mean, he's, he's not starting, but he could have a huge say in how this game pans out still. Um, in terms of the starting Irish players, oh, I'm sorry. And just on that, I mean, I think that's why Ian Henderson misses out if one of those players is on the bench. You kind of can't have two of them, I think. Um, Robbie Henshaw was an absolute shoe-in, I think, at centre, even though he's had his hamstring injury. We're talking about one of the form centres in world rugby over the last year. He has that physicality that will be needed, but he also brings a bit of creative spark. And, I mean, he's spoken about how much he's worked on his footwork over lockdown. And he's a centre who can also provide the type of X factor we're used to seeing from wingers. You know, you think of that try he scored against France last autumn and, the, the little burst of speed and offload against Wales, wasn't it, in the Six Nations. So he just brings so many threats from centre. Tyke Furlong, again, you know, nobody was surprised there. He was probably the one safe bet in the entire team, really. And then Jack Conan, yeah. <sighs> what can you say? Like, what a, what a couple of weeks or what a year it's been for him. I mean, to think that he hadn't played a test game in, what, 18 months as recently as February... But again, he brings that kind of dynamism that Gatland, I think, is looking for in his team. He's aggressive, he's a good defender, but he also has handling skills and, you know, he's got a decent turn of pace for a fella of his size. And he he just brings that little bit of the unknown again. He's not a one-dimensional player, which, you know, you could argue some of these back rows in the line squad are. Um, and yeah, he's also proved himself to be a good decision maker under pressure. And you, you you don't want to think that anybody has played themselves into a team based on one game. But I think Conan's performance getting against England in the Six Nations left such a lasting impression on Gatland. I mean, he's kind of spoken about it anyway. But even even that try that he um, helped set up for Keith Earls, the fact that he had to, you know, improvise a bit and that that was more off the cuff than people maybe thought it was. He He's able to handle, handle pressure situations. He's a good decision maker. And he's just... He's, he's been in superb form. You'd have to say his selection there is warranted. And Conor Murray not making the team is maybe being seen as an anti-Irish selection. But the fact that Conan is in ahead of someone like Faletau, who you would consider to be one of Gatlin's boys, is proof that, you know, Gatlin is picking a team that he thinks is the best team to beat the Springboks. There's no bias in any of these calls. And yeah, I think the Irish players there, it's hard to argue against any of them being included. What about your own impressions of the team, Brendan, when you saw it announced? Was there any names that did jump off the page to you? Were you surprised, for example, by Conan starting? Because we're all made up from for him here. And at the same time, we're probably viewing it through green tinted glasses as well. We've seen him perform week in, week out very, uh, very impressively. Yeah, I, I don't think I was surprised. I, I think I'd probably, I was, I would have been surprised if he wasn't picked. I think he, he's definitely... A much more versatile eighth than 
than the other other eights in, in the squad as such. And and um, yeah, he, he's a type of player that can hurt the Springboks. He's he's very different to what they've faced before. Um, yeah, and I wasn't surprised with the rest of the uh, of the. Although Courtney Laws there tells me that that's a physicality um, pick there to bring him in. I was surprised Ian Henderson, but I suppose with Alan Wynn Jones coming back in, somebody's going to pay, you know, pay the price or stuff. I'm a big Conor Murray fan. I'm, I'm a huge. I mean, he plays very much a South African type of nine nine role with his box kicking and the, yeah. I, that that to me is more a form pick there with Ellie Price. Um, and it tells me with Elliot Daly there that they are going to try and move the spring box around. Um, Elliot Daly in 28, I think it was 2018 when England toured South Africa was one of the players that really gave the box a lot of, of trouble in that that series. And uh, I think he scored quite a few tries in that series as well. And and, and so he's the type of guy that can trouble the box. And it's going to be interesting. Duan for the Mavo, um, I think that's more a romantic choice for me. I think he's been in great form. With, you, you, you know, I, I feel for Josh Adams. Um, but I think he's going to get quite a warm welcome from the South Africans. The South Africans will quite enjoy the fact. Yeah, we tend, we tend to be, yeah, if we, we see physicality, we, we almost run towards the fire than run away from the fire. So that, they'll quite enjoy that. And it's going to be a fascinating to see Cheslin Colby because, you know, while he, he's not scared to tackle, um, I think Duane might have some problems on defence. Yeah, well, most most players in world rugby have problems on defence, Ches, Cheslin Colby. So it's going to be interesting to see how he handles it. Yeah, it is. I know they're both South Africans, but it is a, a complete clash of cultures, really, on that flank, isn't it? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Can I ask you, Brendan, just to, I guess, delve into the Conor Murray omission, if you like, uh, for a moment. Now, granted, he's probably going to play 25 minutes or half an hour with the game, hopefully still in the melting pot from a neutral's point of view, or I guess from both teams' point of view. If you're going into the last half an hour and it's on the line, you're probably happy, happy enough. But you say he's a kind of a South African type of scrum half, and I'd agree. But what kind of a scrum half would South Africa rather play against at the moment, do you think? And is Ali Price a little bit more of a wild card where... Uh, as much as there's loads known about him, I'm sure the guys will have done a, a huge amount of research on him. Maybe it's a little bit more difficult uh, difficult to telegraph what he can actually do. And when you look at that Lions squad, including Van der Merwe, it is quite a physical type of side. Maybe you need that kind of a wrinkle, that little element of unpredictability that Price can bring. Well, yeah, and I think he's had a good turn. I mean, he's probably been, yeah, he stood out on this turn. He had a great game against the Stormers as well. Um, yeah, to me... I, I like Conor because I mean I'm I'm I, I live in Pretoria. I've, I've grown up with the Farida Prias yeah, of this world, and 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 he's he reminds me very much not just on his kicking. And I know we always focus on his box kicking, but um, he's the type of player. And what, what made Farida Priya great for me was he was that type of player that off the base on the tack, you know, could shoot that pass out maybe two or second or third channel, but just pick the right guy where the defense isn't isn't. And Conor does that very well as well. Um, yeah, Ali Price is a lot more unpredictable. I think the box probably would have expected to play Connor uh, over there. So, and in that back line, it's going to be interesting to see how they how they structure that attack. They're all physical guys, but that unpredictability is going to add an extra dimension to this game. Kieran, what do you make of that selection if you take off the green tinted glasses? I mean, you don't have them anywhere. You're an objective journalist, right? But uh, I'm not. Uh, so I'm gutted for Connor on a kind of a personal level and as a monster man. Um, do you agree with this based on what you were saying earlier, even in the sense that Price has played well, but against opposition that have shipped uh, an enormous number of scores? So 
listen we're not privy as well to what's going on in the training pitch like Gatlin is watching them every day he's made a choice but stylistically looking at this game and looking at the opposition if you had the coach's hat on who are you picking there yeah um I think it's a brave call and a call I would not be brave enough to make um <laughs> As we say, you know, Price has looked good in these warm-up games, but it's one thing to do it in those warm-up games where, you know, the, the, his forwards have been totally dominant and he's had kind of time and space to make the decisions, things like that. It's another thing to do it against the Springboks. And Ali Price, I know he's got 40-plus caps for Scotland, but he doesn't actually have a huge amount of, spe- of experience playing against these big Southern Hemisphere sides. I can see the logic in it. Um Gatlin clearly wants the Lions to be able to play with a bit of pace, move the point of attack. And Price is more, he does bring that unpredictability and the Springboks are going to have it. As you mentioned, it's not quite as telegraphed. You know, he's got that sniping game that Murray used to have. He can he can spread it wide, he can box kick, he can chip, he can do all those things, but you don't necessarily know what he's going to do each time. Murray is, I don't want to be, I don't want to be critical of Conor Murray, but he is a little bit more predictable in what you know you're going to get from him. And not that that's necessarily a bad thing. There's a time and a place for it. And I, I've been trying to kind of see the sense in Gatlin's decision here. And I think if it all comes down to if Price rises to the occasion, if Price plays the way he's been playing in the warm-up games, it's going to look like a great call because he's going to give the Lions exactly what they need to bring, beat the Springboks, I think, which is that tempo and that little bit of creativity and that little bit of spark. If if he doesn't rise to the occasion, obviously it's going to look like a terrible call because you've left your most experienced scrum half on the bench and a guy who's been there and done it. Another way of looking at it is Gatlin now, if we, if we presume this is going to be a tight game heading into the last 20, 25 minutes, Gatlin now has his most experienced halfback pairing on the bench ready to come in and see out those championship minutes if you want to call him that in terms of Conor Murray and Owen Farrell and that's a pretty nice way to be and that's something that the box don't really have those two guys can come in and they can they know how to see out games like this and they can bring that control but of course if that's gonna if that's gonna happen you have to be in the game in the first place I think I think price is a huge call I can totally see the logic in it from Gatlin's point of view but I'd be I'd be very wary of it and I would have concerns but I, I don't think he's as good a defender for a start as Conor Murray um, although he he's defended well on this tour, but again against you know questionable opposition, yeah. and yeah, there, there, there's lots of areas where you can just be concerned. Is Price going to be the man for the job? But yeah, like I say, if if he plays the way he's played in the warm-up games, there's no reason this can't look like an inspired Gatlin choice. But it wouldn't it wouldn't have been the choice I made. Maybe if the game was played at altitude, Brendan and Conor Murray was bombing those box kicks into the stratosphere, uh, it might have been more so a game for him. Uh, have you given any real thought to the fact that the game is going to be played now, or sorry, all three tests will be played uh, in Cape Town at sea level? Does that actually really relieve South Africa of an advantage or is there a little bit too much being made of that over here, do you reckon? I think uh, just to, just the one thing on, your, on Eddie Price before, before I answer that. Um, it's quite interesting if you contrast what the Springboks have at halfback because Eddie Price is unpredictable, but he's playing against Faf de Klerk and he hasn't played against the scrum off on this tour that's quite like Faf de Klerk in, in terms of that. The, the contrast to that is that the box scrum off on the bench, Herschel Yankees, is very much an unpredictable type player as well. He hasn't had the greatest season. 
some of us feel that yeah, he's, he's quite lucky to be in the team at the moment, um, especially ahead of Kurbis Reiner, who's really had a great season as well. And we, we were quite surprised at that. And he's a youngster as well, so he, he's, he's really only – he came through in 2019 just before the World Cup at, at the right time. He hasn't really recaptured that form as well. So it's just going to be interesting to see how that contrast plays out. So I just thought to mention that. Just on the on the altitude, um, to me, I think there's been too much made of it because I think the way the Lions structured this tour to play the first test down at sea level, um, you know, probably negated that to a bit because both sides have been in Cape Town now for a couple of weeks now. Um, yeah, they both were going to go back up to altitude again. So um, your 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 fitness levels that you came into this tour with are probably more more uh, a factor than than going up and down from altitude. Uh, I think the Lions have probably got a little bit of an advantage of this coming in from their jersey camp and you know trading at altitude and coming through where the box have had their COVID problems. So I think that's probably going to help the Lions as well. Um, so I don't think it's been made too much. I think the one thing that nobody's mentioned that could come into the the picture though is that Cape Town in winter. Is very much almost, um, yeah. It's not. It's not the rest of South African winter uh, up here in Pretoria and Johannesburg, where I am. Um, it's dry. It's it's cold and it's it's a very dry cold. Whereas Cape Town goes through a rainy season in winter, so we could have mud patches in those those games if going ahead. And I know it's raining in Cape Town today quite heavily as well. So yeah, that might change the complexion of the game in another way that nobody's even thought about, and it might become a very very big arm wrestle. And I think that would probably favor the box if that happens. It certainly would. Yeah, we'll be keeping an eye on the weather forecast from over here. Uh, Kieran, let's start winding down and looking at what you expect to happen over the coming weeks. Let's start with Saturday to begin with. Looking at those two teams, listening to Brendan and his quiet confidence. And uh, I guess your, 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 gut, your gut feeling, Kieran, um, give us an idea in your head. It could be totally wrong as it transpires, just like Atlan picking price. But if you're right, you're going to look like a genius. So give us an idea how it's going to play out in Cape Town this weekend to begin with. Okay, well, I've kind of been tossing this over in my head the last, the last couple of days. Um, and... Yeah, I'm going with the, the box to win the first test. Um, I think South Africa A looked strong enough and you certainly looked sharp enough last week to suggest that, you know, they're really going to be on it this weekend. And, you know, as we touched on earlier, there's so many combinations there in that Lions team that we haven't seen before. And there's a few question marks over a few players, I'd say. So I'm going for the box to win the first test. But I think the Lions will win the series. Um, I'm going to go for the Lions to win the next two games. I think we've seen a lot of disruption already. Um, and I think if it goes into a case of, you know, either both squads having to kind of dip into their squads a little bit deeper over the next two games, I would think the Lions have stronger squads to survive losing a couple of players to whether it be injuries or COVID or close contacts or anything like that. So, yeah, I'm going to go for the... I'll put a score on it. I'll go 23-20 to the box this week and 2-1 to the Lions overall. Beautiful. It's it's a bold call, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off. Like, it's interesting, Brendan. Kieran is picking the box to win this weekend. And uh, this show is brought to you in association with William Hill, looking at the odds on their website. South Africa are actually underdogs for this first test, slightly. I mean, they're 11-10, to 10, whereas the Lions are 6-5 to five on. And I'm kind of wondering from where... Are William Hill and the bookmakers drawing this confidence, if you know what I mean? Because the only 
sort of sample resembling what we're going to see this weekend that we've seen the box won and they were missing this let's say the same number of key players as this Lions test team so I'm just wondering where it flipped in their minds I don't know if it's a rhetorical question I guess you probably can't answer it but can I get your answer as to how you see it going over the over Saturday and the coming weeks it's, it's quite it's quite interesting because I think I think very much like Karen says they I'm probably the opposite. I've called it before. I've been asked on, on radio also as well, at my prediction. And I've called it exactly the opposite. Lions to win the first test, but the box to win the next two. And uh, and I think I think part of that is this is such a strange tour. It's so difficult to actually, you know, you know just get a hold of who's, who's the better side going in. Both teams have got big question marks about them. And, and my call would be because, because the Springboks, I feel, may be a bit underdone. That they'll they'll be good to front up for 60, 70 minutes, but I think those last 15, 20 minutes are, are what's going to decide this test match. It happened in two thousand nine as well. They managed to hold out in that first test as well. Um, I think it's going to be incredibly close series either way, and, and I do agree with Kieran that the, the box are probably not in the, the the best shape in terms of their depth at the moment. They, they, there's players, you know, to me, uh, one player just springs to mind that's not even close to the box team at the moment is Marcel Couture. I mean, there's a, there's a guy who could come in from the outside. Um, we saw on Saturday, Johan Kursen, who's just come back from Montpellier as well. There's another guy who could come to the box side. They're, they're definitely players they can bring in. Um, obviously, the bigger squad has been more about squad development because there's 12 tests this year. But I think for now, uh, the Lions have probably added an advantage in terms of depth. Um, the box will be there physically. I think they'll, they'll front up 60, 70 minutes. But depending on what the scoreline is in those 70 minutes, I think they might... They might just fade in this first test. But saying that, give them an extra game together. I think they'll be roaring back to the second test. So it's exactly the opposite of what Ken says. And I suppose, I suppose that's what makes it so fascinating this weekend. I love it. I love it. I know the odds as well are not arbitrary. Like it is determined as well by people actually putting money on it. I guess I'm wondering not so much where William Hill are getting their confidence from, but fans over on this side of the pond. One last one for you, uh, Brendan, if you don't mind. So we know which way you believe the series is going to go. But could I get like a, a comparison of your confidence ahead of this series versus say 2009 and versus 97 going into those series as well, where each time I'm sure South Africa would have been confident of victory. How confident were you then versus this time around? I think, I think each time the box have come into this series as world champions. So it's been difficult. I think in 97, Maybe being a bit more naive, um, I, I believe the box were in a much better space. And I felt team selections in 97 probably hampered them in terms of not picking a goal kicker, especially in that second test where they, they, they scored three tries to zero and still lost the test yeah, through the, the, the Gasco drop goal. Um, in 2009, I was, I was also, I won't say as confident, but that 2009 team was a special Springbok team. And I, I think it was probably a lot stronger man for man than this team. Uh, they went on to beat the All Blacks three times in a season, which hasn't happened for a long time uh, yeah, to any All Black team. So, uh, And it just showed that Lions team to me was probably stronger than this Lions team as well. Um, but the one thing these series teach me is that unpredictability of, of, a, of a Lions series. And there's players you'd never... I, I just think of a guy like Tom Smith in 97, who we never thought of would have been a, a Lions hero, Matt Dawson. Um yeah, you know, guys like that who come through and just just show us that when the chips are down, they put their hands up, and I think that's where it's going to come through in this one. Um, 
it's a tough series to call. It's, this is this is definitely not a type of tour I've done many tours in my life. This is the strangest of them all, and and it's been the strangest one to call because I think even in terms of team selection in, in the Lions, I think probably every single pundit probably got it wrong today as well. So um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm just looking forward to the game. I think it's going to be it's going to be exciting. It's going to be nail biting, and I'm actually hoping that it comes down to those last five minutes in the in the third test. Um, and, and hopefully we don't have a, a, a red card from either team that we can get through this test that we don't have other talking points. Well, I think we can echo that. Brendan, Nell, thanks a million. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure, guys. Anytime. Kieran, thank you to you as well. Looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. The hype has risen again this week for me now. <laughs> Unreal. Thank you to everybody at home as well. This has been The Punt, brought to you in association with William Hill. Remember to gamble responsibly. Uh, Mind yourselves, enjoy it over the weekend. We'll catch you very soon. Until then, take it easy.